You're listening to the Think, Live, Repeat podcast, a place for people who are looking for simple and actionable ways to bring their lives to the next level. I'm your host, John Skomsky, and I want you to get ready for some amazing conversations as we dive deep into the minds of successful people, how they think intentionally and live differently. There's just two simple rules. Change doesn't have to be complicated, and change begins with your mind. You literally possess the power change the direction of your life. So consider yourself warned. If you're not ready to start growing today, you might just want to turn this off now before it's too late. What's up, Inward Investors? It's another edition of the Think, Live, Repeat podcast. So glad you joined us. And today's guest, well, you could say he wasn't supposed to be here today, yet here he sits. And it's an absolutely incredible story. I heard him over a year ago on a very popular show at My Let's Podcast, and his story is absolutely life altering. And when I say he wasn't supposed to be here today, it was based on actions from over two decades ago. He tried to end his life, jumping off the Golden State Bridge. And if you do the math in your head, you think, yeah, gee, I can kind of see how he's not supposed to be here today. Yet here he sits by miraculous intervention, and he is a force for good, changing lives, helping people be here tomorrow, including himself. And he's written books, he's produced films, and he's just an advocate for mental health and and uh, an inspiring person. So glad I've been looking forward to this for a while now. Kevin Hines, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. So glad to be here. So let me ask you this. You know, I'm the book is here. Books, multiple, your most recent one here. Yeah. Absolutely love it. We both got That's our awesome. coffee. There we go. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Got it here. The Art of Being Broken, How Storytelling Saves Lives. The story is everywhere. And I don't want to take time today to get into the specifics of the story because I want to unpack some specific aspects that maybe uh, you alluded to in the book but didn't fully go on or I've heard you mentions in, uh, in interviews in that. The one thing that I loved was, you know, you have cracked, not broken, and then you have the art of being broken. And so it would almost, to me, from my you know, perspective, a shift in perspective, had, had time elapsed where you kind of saw things differently. Is Do you still feel the same way? It's just kind of two different aspects. But I, I kind of saw those. I'm like, this is an interesting uh, juxtaposition. So maybe elaborate a little bit on that. I'd love to. And I'm so glad we're talking about the book. Not often do I get to talk about the book, so I really appreciate that. It is The Art of Being Broken, How Storytelling Saves Lives. The first book was Crack Not Broken, how, uh, how Crack Not Broken, Surviving and Thriving After a Suicide Attempt. And the difference in titles is very clear. Crack, but not, crack not broken to The Art of Being Broken. Uh, it's more of a sense of a play on words than it is feeling that I am broken. It's more a sense of how you live inside the brokenness to become unbroken forever. And the final mm. book in the three-part series, which I'm writing right now, is Unbroken. So the final book will be called Unbroken in the three-part series. I've written another book with a co-author uh, called The Third Rail in My Mania I Became, but that's his first-person story um, and, and what he went through living with bipolar depression on his end. Mm. And, and, and then uh, I have a children's book coming out uh, January 18th. Uh, really? The Dimly Lit Star. It is about childhood bullying, bullying prevention, and bullying reduction, um, and the power of learning to be resilient in the face of pain from childhood. And it's based on my the story of me living with my mom, Deborah Hines, who adopted me and made me her son, uh, along with Patrick Kevin Hines. But 
but the story of the dimly lit star is based upon what my mom did while I was going through childhood bullying in grade school. It's an incredible journey. Uh, and it's the illustrations are phenomenal by Rin Maria, a young illustrator out of Vegas. And she has a really, she's a really talented individual who paints the picture of these two stars on the end of the Little Dipper. And the two stars are Mama Shines and Little Shines. That's me and my mom's story. So it's incredible. But back to The Art of Being Broken. Uh, the, the, the juxtaposition of the titles is so important because it's a three-part series. And this is just the next chapter in those three in that three-part series. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. And I didn't know you were working on a third book, so that's fantastic. So the, the kids book, I'm interested in this because, you know, given your story and you allude to it a little bit in, you know, your most recent book, you, you kind of hark back on some memories and some, you have some fond memories of your father. I, I feel it's, I think you did a wonderful job just as a side capturing who he is and, and, and just kind of his personality in that. And I feel like I've read a lot of books, obviously, and, and had a lot of authors on the show and you'll get family member references and all that. But for whatever reason, you're, you did a tremendous job connecting your father because I I feel like I know him better than most, like, let's say, second and third characters within the book. So that was, and I'm sure that was very intentional, but I loved how you did that. Yeah, I have a special relationship with my dad. Um, he was the only person at the time when I first struggled. Um, uh, actually, it was after my third psych ward stay, not the first. After my third psych ward stay, it was my dad who, no matter how difficult our relationship would become, because he is a stern and tough sunset Irishman. He is, you know, as I say in the book, he played 20 years of hockey as the goalie with no mask. So, you know, <laughs> get that picture painted in your head. Yeah. He's the epitome of, and this is interesting, they didn't, they didn't, the publisher didn't put this in the book, but I had a picture, a, 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 a collage of pictures of my dad, Robert De Niro, and the late great Dr. Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I wanted to show that if you if, if you took the late great Felicity Hoff and the actor and Robert De Niro and they had a baby, it would be Pat Hines, and and really he he looks just like him when you when you put the two together. Um, but they took the picture out because they didn't want to publish it in the book because it would take up too much ink. So I was really disappointed about that. But what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's in good company. Those are some incredible uh, and very yeah. big personalities. Like, oh, he's a big personality. Oh, yeah. He's. He's six one. He towers over me. I'm five seven. Oh. He's six one, and he's got a he's got an intimidating personality, but also a soft personality as well. Um, he, he we we've had our ups and downs and our and our good times and our bad times. But I will say this about Pat Hines, my dad. He never let me go. Hmm. Never he never let me down. He was always there physically, maybe not so much emotionally, but he was always there physically. And he never gave up on me. And I can't say that about a lot of people in my life who did give up on me during my hardest of struggles. But my dad never did. So, and and uh, neither did my wife, Margaret. So, um, you know, I, I pay homage to my dad uh, because without his support during my hardest of times, um, I wouldn't be where I am today. I, first of all, I wouldn't be the writer I am today without my mom and my dad. I remember, I remember years ago, as a child, they would take me, my brother, my sister to Clear Lake for three months after out of the year. We were very lucky in that way, very blessed by them and the hard work they put in to making every year so special. And we'd go to Clear Lake. And before we ever got to play with the other kids at the park there, um, and, and there were a lot we knew very well, we had to do hours and hours of essay writing and, and, and mathematics and 
and, and literature and history. Um, and really, I, I credit my mom with that because she made us do those, those things before we even got to play. Um, and so we have all these little booklets of these essays we used to write all the, every, every summer. Um, and, and, then, and then learning from my dad growing older and his ability to put words together, both speaking and in the written, in the written sense, he's an incredible writer and incredible orator. Um, and I'll tell you this, the first public speaker I ever saw was my dad. He came to talk at career day at my grade school, <laughs> and he blew everybody out of the water. And I remember sitting there going, and everyone's going, your dad's so cool. I remember sitting there looking at my dad going, I want to do that someday. And then he came and talked to career day at my high school twice. It was two totally different presentations from the previous ones. The man really had a way with words, wow. has a way with words. And he's an incredible guy. And I love him so much. And I'm so blessed to call him my father. That's beautiful. I love and, it. And he and he and Debbie Hines, you know, they didn't have to take me in. They didn't have to make me their son. They saved my life. There's no doubt about it in my mind. Um, and I'm so lucky that they're a part of this book. And actually, uh, I interviewed my mom for this book, for her section. Um, and it was... Uh, uh, I think really important that I did that as well. Wow. Yeah. No, I love that. And the, in the relationships and you mentioned like your wife, Margaret, and just you, you have a, a tremendous sense of gratitude and, and understanding that it's an others. It's a team-based uh, uh, call recovery journey that you're on. It's not just a solo mission. And um, so on that note, this idea of being a mission in this journey. So one thing that fascinates me, so I kind of had this panic and anxiety thrown in my face in 2020. My wife and listeners of the show know she had a couple episodes, uh, anaphylactic shock where she could have passed, complications with medications. It was just a mess. And so I went from like, oh, everything's great. Life is good. And and to grinding to a halt. <laughs> and And suddenly, you know, everything that was normal, driving, walking, sleeping, everything became burdensome, everything, you know, freaking out this, that and the other thing. And it was a journey. And now that I'm a few years from it and made tremendous progress, I am not unaware of the fact that at any point in time, it could resurface. Yeah. And I'm also, as I read your book, and you talked about multiple psych ward stays and different struggles, very candidly, which I appreciate, by the way, how do you how do you view, I'm going to say recovery, because that's what it's commonly used, but I think it's a misnomer because it presents this concept of a destination. Like when I'm better, then it's all better. Yeah. But I'm of the opinion there is no destination. There's direction and there's destiny. And and I would love to know how how do you work through that as candidly over time you have struggled and things have resurfaced and then progress and all of that. Because I, I think there's so many people who look at that and they feel bound by feeling like, well, I, I, maybe one day. I feel. In what, I, in what I've seen, what I've read, what I know personally from lived experience, that I am not recovered or well. I'm in recovery like one would be from substance use disorder every day. That's not to say that I haven't found a great deal of healing in my life, because I have. But I had to work toward that end every day. I had to put in all of the time, all of the effort, all of the energy, all of the hard work to find hope, to find healing, to live in that recovery day by day, one day at a time, and they're all baby steps, hmm. step by step, right? Um, I do, I do feel though that when you struggle like I, I have and like I do with bipolar depression, you can find and even keel. You can live on a in a standard of life that is unbroken if you so choose, and if you believe and have faith in yourself, the human condition, and a higher power. I have faith in God. 
I'm not pushing out on anybody. I've always had faith in God. Mm-hmm. I've had it since I can remember. Yeah, I do too. Uh, born, born Catholic. And the only time I lost that faith, John, was when I found myself standing atop the Golden Gate Bridge looking down. But as my father is fond of saying uh, in front of his banker buddies at baseball games, have you found him on the way down? You know, so, so you know, when I, when I was falling from the Golden Gate Bridge walkway to the water, the only thoughts in my mind in those four seconds were rapidly, what have I just done? I don't want to die. God, please save me. I called out to God. And a sea lion, this sea lion right here, Herbert, came to the came to my skin to the surface, bumped me to the surface, kept me afloat, circling beneath me, touching my shoulders, my neck, my elbows, and my knees, keeping me above water until the Coast Guard arrived behind me. Now, you can call that whatever you want, but that is a miracle, and I am so very grateful for this existence and for my ability to thrive despite of pain. I get to be here, and getting to be here is a privilege and a gift no matter the pain I might be in. And I'm not saying I'm going to be in pain forever. I'm saying that I live with chronic physical pain that I'm probably never going to get rid of. I live, and I'm searching for ways to get rid of it. You best believe. I, I, you know, I, I'm living with brain pain that I deal with on a regular basis. But I still thrive despite of that pain. I still find ways to recognize the true beauty in this life, the beauty outside in the outdoors, the beauty of my love with my, my wife and the passion we have for one another, the beauty of my family and friends, and the understanding that not everybody gets to have a great supportive network, network like I do. But let's be clear, I didn't always have it. There were times in my life where I felt abandoned by my family and friends in, in, in halfway homes for the mentally ill. Um, but I think equally so, I abandoned them with my diagnosis, with my struggles, and with my uh, inability, and uh, pardon me, my ability to alienate them from me. So I take responsibility for my actions in those situations, which I don't think is talked about enough. You know, you know, one of the things people don't get who live with the diagnosis is that every time you struggle, the people that love you struggle. Every time. <laughs> yes. Every waking moment yes. they see you in pain, they're in pain. I'll never forget uh, when my dad came to the hospital. I think this is in the book. When he came to the hospital, he told me shortly thereafter, while still in the hospital, Kevin, if you had died, I would have died. My mother and father still fear my death by suicide. They have trauma that is so deep from what I did that they can't. And I'm sure my other family members, some of them feel the same. I wouldn't doubt it, that that they fear that one day I'm going to break and take my life. Let me be abundantly clear. That will never happen. And I can say that with a promise and a guarantee. I have had thousands upon thousands of suicidal ideations since the time I left off the Golden Gate Bridge, but I remain right here because I have the tools to move forward in the face of pain. I do two things every time I'm suicidal. I find a mirror, any mirror, anywhere. I look in that mirror and I say, my thoughts do not have to become my actions. They can simply be my thoughts. They don't have to own, rule, or define what I do next. Thus, I never have to attempt or die in the first place. Number two, I turn to anyone. And John, I mean this, anyone willing to listen, whether I know them from Adam or not, 
and I say four simple but very effective words. I need help now. And the difference, John, between me and people who die by suicide is that I don't stop saying I need help now until somebody is willing to help me. And for 23 years, that has kept me alive. Wow. And it's daily. And it moment by moment. So in other words, you didn't make a decision. Well, you might have made a decision 23 years ago. And then you didn't. That wasn't it. Right. It was the daily steps that you made, the daily decisions. And when that ideation came and surfaced and wherever you happen to be. And as, as I, I imagine you, if you were to look over the last two and a half decades, uh, that's it's that daily step. And I guess in that moment, is it for you? And again, I'm not drawing the comparisons because there there's similarities and there's distinct differences. I'm just trying to relate from, I know when I'm on the verge of a panic attack, I, I, I see signals. And when the first signals approach, that's when it's easiest to, to do the things that I know will keep me from going the rest of the way. An hour later, a lot harder. You know, and I, two hours later, hell of a lot harder. So is it the same for you where you know it's got to catch it early on and that's how you have such a, a high degree of success with it? It's, it's, it's the moment the inclination for the thought ideation comes to my head. Mm -hmm. That's the moment I take action. I do not wait for it to become a planning situation where, like planning my, my death. I don't wait for it to plan because it'll take that step if you allow it. But if you stop it at the head and you go, no. I'm not going to engage in this thought process. I'm not going to let it overtake me. I'm not going to let it destroy me. I'm going to take action to keep myself safe here and alive and well. And so, so taking those two actions, my thoughts don't have to become my actions. They can simply be my thoughts and I need help now. The difference is I don't stop until I keep finding that, until I find that person. So by definition, by the sheer probability of the number of people I turn to, someone has always been able to answer my call and, and I've been able to rely on someone in those situations, whether I know them from Adam or not. I have done this in front of crowds of 5,000 in a speech because I thought that I had to take my life. I've even done this when I have hallucinations and I'm seeing something in the speech that's not there. I recognize it as a distorted reality that I can see it, but nobody else can because I've done the work, I've put in the time, I've put in the, the effort and the energy to change my perspective, to change my life. So really, uh, I guess the best way to, to round it all up here is I take full and 110% responsibility for my diagnosis, my struggles, my symptoms, and my pain, and I act accordingly. Now, that's really difficult to do when you're in the throes of a mental breakdown. When you are out of the mental breakdown, you need to put measures in place to stabilize your brain and mental health when you are struggling for the next time so you can be safer than the time before. And what that means is I put together uh, a, a, a toolkit called The Art of Wellness. It's found on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kevin Hines. The Art of Wellness 2.0 is the name of the video. 10 steps to better balance your brain, mind, behavioral, mental, physical, spiritual health, and well-being, all designed to change your life uh, if you take action today. Uh, and these are, not, these are not clinical tools. These are common sense tools that are science-backed and evidence-informed, proven to change your brain. Thousands of people follow this program around the world from as far as Peru, Africa, China, Japan, Canada, UK, Ireland, and beyond. And they say, they say that by following this program for six to nine months, 
directly, they see an immediate change in their mental and behavioral health and well-being for the better. Well, there you go. So audience, you're listening. We need to check that out. I'll put the link to that in the show notes for sure. And it's often those things that seem small. It's the things that the people who are successful, they do it, they do it consistently. And the rest of us do occasionally, occasional fill in the blank, occasional taking control of your thoughts, occasional therapy, all those things make you feel good. It's the consistent, <laughs> succinct day-to-day things that make a difference. And we see it in our own lives and, of course, see it in yours. Kevin, what's a good way for people to engage with you? Is it Instagram, Facebook? Yes, at Kevin Hines Story across all social media platforms except for YouTube. YouTube is YouTube.com slash Kevin Hines. There are over 800 videos designed to better your brain health. Go take them. They're free. They're yours. Also, we will be uh, dropping – a new mental health hack, I think, every week uh, for the next 30 weeks on that YouTube channel. So please look out for those things that you can do to change your brain, to change your life right now. And they're optimal, that you can prioritize them, um, and they are solutions-based. So they give you things to do to change your life, and they're incredible. Outstanding. All right, Kevin, Art of Being Broken, Storytelling Saves Lives. Go get the book. Kevin, thank you for making time today and appreciate everything you do, your inspiration, and thank you so much. Thank you, John. And don't forget the Dimly Lit Star Children's Book for Kids Getting Through Bullying, uh, January 18th. Outstanding. Kevin, have a wonderful day. Yes, thank you. Goodbye,